Well, it's good to be with you after being on vacation for a week. And uh, it's always hard to get back into vacation mode because basically for the last week or 10 days, the biggest decision I had to make is which swim trunks was I going to wear. So, so it kind of my idea of a great vacation would be this. Uh, because my life is driven by schedule and appointments and commitments, uh, would be for us to go to I-25 and flip a coin and heads we go north and tails we go south. And, but my wife just doesn't see it that way. Fact is, one time we did a hybrid of that and we ended up in Mexico, so now I know I have no chance of planning a vacation like that. So, as I kind of get back into the mode and the swing of things, I thought it would be fun as we get back into looking at the Sermon on the Mount, is that we just played a game together. And so this is kind of all-skate time, this is crowd participation time. The name of the game is called this, Did It Really Happen? And so I'm going to walk through a couple of stories with you. You're going to have to determine whether it's true or false. At the end of the story, I'll ask you, for those of you that think it's true, you'll applaud. And then for those of you that think it's false, and I'll guide you through that, you'll applaud. You can keep score, play this amongst yourself, whatever makes you happy. So here we go. Here's the first scenario. Three men in the Philippines were hospitalized for acute gastritis and high blood pressure after attempting to break the world record for chili pepper uh, consumption. So how many of you think it's true? Okay. How many think it's false? All right, that one's true. So if you got it, if you said true, you get a point. So here we go. Here's another one. I know all you type A's, you're keeping score and you're wanting to beat all your friends and family members and everything else. So here we go. Here's another one. Three men were electrocuted when attempting to climb hand over hand across a live power line. So how many of you think it's true? Okay. How many think it's false? Okay. That one's false, okay? False. Some, it's fun having fun at other people's expense, right? Some of you are like, man, I thought that one was true. Okay, here's another one. A retired Air Force sergeant attached a stolen rocket booster to his 66 Chevy Impala and launched himself into a mountainside 125 feet off the ground and buried himself in his own three-foot crater. Okay, how many think it's true? All right. How many think it's false? That one's true. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Here's another one. You know what? This is so much fun. We may just do this whole service. <laughs> I'll just be still on vacation mode. How's that? Okay. Here we go. In 1995, six people drowned in a well in southern Egypt after diving in to save a chicken. Only the chicken survived. <laughs> How many think it's true? All right, how many think it's false? That one's true. I know. Okay, here we go. Here's another one. A New Jersey man sustained a severe head injury after headbutting his computer monitor in anger. The impact split his forehead and left him unconscious. How many think that's true? How many think that's false? Okay, that's false. I know. Some of you have some computer issues, I could tell. You're like, yeah, I've always wanted to do that. So, <laughs> All right, here, here's the last one. A man from California was hospitalized for a severe rattlesnake bite after giving in to the dares from his friends to kiss the head of the snake he had captured earlier. How many think that's true? All right, how many think that's false? Wow, that's true. All right. 
So now here's the bonus round. So we all fin finish happy. If you get this one, no matter how well you scored, how well you did, you win. Okay? Where were the men from for the chili pepper con uh, 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 contest that ended up in the hospital? The Philippines. Some of you students that said Colorado did not listen. It was our dancers. Okay. So, so it's, it's a lot of fun, right, to play this game, did it really happen? The frustrating thing is this. Some of you have to play that game, did it really happen, every day of your life. That you've got relationships, you've got friendships, you've got relationships that you're in, and they're telling you something, and you're wondering. You have to play the game, did it really happen? You have to decide whether what they're telling you is true or whether it's false. If they make a commitment to you, you're playing the game. Did it really happen? Are they going to follow through on the commitment? If they make a promise to you, you're wondering, are they really going to fulfill the promise this time? Are they really good for their word? Are they really good for their promise? If they tell a story, you have to play, did it really happen? You have to wonder if they exaggerated the story. If it really went down, if it really took place, if it really happened the way they said it did. You see, Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 5 on Sermon on the Mount, and he raises the bar again of honesty and truth-telling. In fact, is all the way through this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he had been doing that. And he comes to this point, and he begins helping us to understand that, listen, and, and you, you know this, right? Trust is the foundation of all relationships. If you have to play, did it really happen with someone that you're in a relationship with? You cannot truly be intimate. You cannot truly have the relationship that God has desired you to have because trust is not in existence. You're continually playing the game. And maybe I'm talking to some people that you're the one they have to play the game with. And you're frustrated because you're like, why didn't anyone trust me? Why won't they take me at their word? And see, culturally and in context, and it's, it's important in Scripture, that we have the right context of what culturally was taking place when Jesus spoke these words into their culture because the words that he speaks into their culture has so much that relates to our culture as well. See, what was happening is this. The people of their day, they were begin taking these elaborate oaths so they could be trustworthy, so they could be believed. They, they have lack of integrity. And so what they were doing is they were coming up with these elaborate sayings, these elaborate oaths. Listen, the, the cults and false religions have taken this verse and says, okay, okay, then that means you should never take an oath and that means you can't take the Pledge of Allegiance and all this other stuff. No, that's not what it's talking about. That's taking the verse totally out of context. And to understand Scripture, you've got to understand the culture. You've got to understand the culture in which it was written to. And then you pull the principles out and apply them to our culture. And so what was happening to the people of their day, the Pharisees, they knew... That, that to, to, to try to be believed, they would have to take this elaborate oath. It's, it, we really do it in our culture in our day, right? Someone doesn't believe us. We'll say, I'll swear on a stack of Bibles. Get me a Bible. I'll swear, I'll, swear, I'll swear on a Bible. I'll swear on God. May God strike me dead with lightning if what I'm saying is not true, is not correct. I promise this time. Whatever. We do that too. See, we take an oath sometimes to make ourselves more trustworthy or to make what we're saying truthful. See, they had a lack of integrity in what they were trying to do. 
is make what they were saying, even though it was a lie, even though it wasn't true, make what they were saying so people would believe it. And so Jesus comes in with the Sermon on the Mount, and he speaks directly into that culture. He speaks directly into that issue. Watch this, verse 33, he says, Again you have heard it said, now listen, this is the third time that Jesus has said, Again you have heard it said. I mean, he's emphasizing that point. He's helping them to understand that God has designed us to be in relationships with people that we can trust, where trust is in existence, to where you live life on a different level. And he says, again, you have heard it said that it was said of, again, you have heard that it was said of people long ago. So he's referenced the Old Testament, the Old Testament promise, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. fact is, Numbers chapter 30 is a whole chapter about this issue of commitments, about this issue of truth-telling, about this issue of being honest. And so Jesus is connecting with them. He understood their culture. He understood they re respected the prophets of old. He understood they knew the Torah. They knew the Old Testament. And so he says, you've heard it said of people long ago. So he's telling them nothing that they don't know. Do not break your oaths, but keep your oaths uh, you have made to the Lord. And then he begins to summarize it and just carry it a little bit deeper. And this is where he raises the standard. See, he had them to this point because I understood that. And I'll tell you what they were doing here in a second. Then he says, I tell you. This is probably when it got real quiet. I tell you. Do not swear at all by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem. For it is the city of the great king, do not swear by your head. You cannot make one hair white or black. See, what was going on is, is they knew by the Levitical law, the Levitical code, Deuteronomy and Exodus in Numbers chapter 30, that if they made an oath, if they made a promise and they used God's name, they were required by law to fulfill it. If they didn't, then they were breaking the law. So what they would do is this. They'd make an oath, they'd make a promise, they'd make a commitment, and they'd leave God's name out of it. Loophole. They found a loophole. So they'd say, I swear on the temple, instead of saying, I swear on God who dwells the temple. Or they would say, I swear by heaven that I'm not making any money on this deal. Instead of saying, I swear by God in heaven, that I'm not making any money on this deal. And so here's what Jesus tells them. He's like, guys, whether you use God's name or not, it's a commitment to him. You can't use a loophole. I mean, God created the heaven. The earth is his footstool. He indwells the temple. He indwells the city of Jerusalem. It's all his. Guys, you can't get out of this being a truth teller by a loophole. I mean, it's a lot like in our time when children break a promise and say, oh, I had my fingers crossed. It's their way of doing that. And so Jesus is speaking into their culture and says, you've got to understand. And you've got to understand about this issue of truth-telling, this issue of, of honesty and life. And then Jesus could do this like no other teacher. He made it so simple. He said, guys, you've made it so complicated. Let me make it very simple for you. And then all of a sudden, verse 37, Jesus says this. Simply. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Then a huge warning. 
Anything other than this doesn't come from me. It comes from the evil one. It comes from Satan, the father of lies. All Jesus is saying is this, just live life to make your yes, yes, and your no, no. If you did that, you wouldn't have to make these oaths. If you did that, you wouldn't have to say, I swear on a stack of Bibles, believe me, this time it's true. If you just made your yes, yes, and your no, no. I mean, if you make a commitment, fulfill it. If you make a promise, make sure you live it out. If you tell a story, don't exaggerate. Don't tell different versions of the story because when that happens is you break trust. Listen, people do not... You know the most difficult thing to rebuild in relationships when it's been broken? Trust. Some couples never rebuild trust when trust has been broken. Some, it takes a lifetime to get to the point to where they can trust their partner again when trust has been broken. And this teaching is so relevant to our society because our society, we've come to a point to where we expect people to be dishonest, where we expect them to exaggerate and not be truthful. In fact, as sociologists tell us it is so bad in surveys that they have done, the average person in the course of a day will come up against 300 lies. It's really 200. <laughs> See how easy that is? The New York Times did a poll, and they found that 91% of the people say that they lie on a regular basis, especially if it benefits them. Institute of Behavioral Motivation said that 97 out of 100 people, in, 100 people lie on an average of three times a day. Here, here's just a couple of things, just a couple of principles about this issue that we, we just got to understand that Jesus was talking about. When we're dishonest, it undermines our relationships. When we're dishonest in life, when we're dishonest with the people, when our yes is not yes and our no is not no, you've got to understand it undermines. Jesus is trying to get them to understand that a godly relationship, a healthy relationship, is a relationship that is built on trust. It's a relationship to where someone's yes is yes and their their no is no, and God wants each one of us to be able to have a healthy relationship and, and people around us that we can trust. And boy, when I was going through this, maybe the real indictment isn't against us, isn't that we make an oath. Maybe the real indictment is, is we have to make an oath to be believed. There was a time when a man's word was as good as gold. There was a time when someone would strike a business deal, regardless of what the contract said. They were good. And maybe the real indictment against them and us is that we need oaths to be believed. See, the problem with this, there's not a person in this room that hadn't been burned by this. The problem with this is we have been so burned by someone betraying us, by someone hurting us, we become cynical. If you're not careful, you'll move from cynicism 
to skepticism, you'll be skeptical, and you will become, you will come to believe that nobody can be trusted. You'll never enter a relationship where their yes is yes and their no is no. You'll come to believe that nobody speaks the truth. I mean, we become so cynical that we, we don't believe that anything is the way it appears. The hotel never matches up to the pictures in the brochure. The solution really doesn't make your hair grow back. It really hurts when you pull the wax off. <laughs> your teeth really don't get white overnight. And only Jerry loses 150 pounds by eating three Subway sandwiches a day. <laughs> and we come to the point to where we just don't, we just expect people to exaggerate. John Stossel on 2020 here a while back did one of those specials on, on labeling of products. And I'll never forget, he had water from Mount Shasta. It was Mount Shasta water. It had the picture on the label of Mount Shasta in California, the non-active volcano. And it had these words about how pure it is and pure the water is and how it's filtered. And then you turn the bottle of water around and you read the back of the label, you know, through the water bottle. And here's what it says. I'll quote him. It says, water bottled in Miami, Florida <laughs> from the municipal water supply. In other words, they're, they're filling up the bo water bottles from a garden hose in Miami. And they're saying it's from Mount Shasta. And so they, they, they interview the attorney that, that represented this company along with some other companies that advertise. And John asked him the question about that and questioned him about that. And then uh, this is what his answer was. These companies are within their rights. They are simply trying to convey the essence of what the contents in their container taste like. You want to enter into a relationship with someone like that? You want to enter into a relationship that is trying to convey the essence of the truth, but not the truth? You see, we live in a society, we live in a culture, we live in a time that we no longer feel and we no longer believe that people, there are really people out there to the yes is yes and their no is no, but Jesus is saying if we're going to have healthy relationships, whether it's in dating, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in business, whether it's friends, trust has to be the foundation. Your yes has to be yes. Your no has to be no. And if your yes is not yes and your no is not no, Jesus would tell you you'll never have the relationship that you desire because they can't trust you. And you always hear have that feeling. No matter what I do, no matter what oaths I take, no matter what commitment I make, you don't trust me. See, Ephesians says this, Ephesians 4.25, it says this. It says, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another, for we are all members of one body. Paul talks about this issue of truth-telling. And you know what he's saying here? When your yes is not yes and your no is not no, it hurts you as much as the other person. See, we believe that it only hurts the other person. Or sometimes we don't even believe it hurts anyone. We just think it's okay, it's acceptable. And Apostle Paul's going, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Especially in marriage, you're one flesh. As believers, we're members of one body. Apostle Paul said, wait, you've got to put off falsehood. Falsehood. Because you're members of one body. What hurts the other person hurts you. And then Jesus took, he took this a little bit farther. And he says, anything beyond your yes is yes, your no is no. Anything beyond that, I just need to let you know doesn't come from me. 
comes from the evil one. See, Scripture says Satan or the devil or the evil one, whatever you want to refer to him as, is the father of lies. That's one title of Satan. In fact, his lying, falsehood, is his native language. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, he said, listen, another principle, when we're dishonest, it's contrary to the, will of, to the character of God. When we're dishonest, that's not who God is. It's contrary it's to, the, will of, to, to the, the character of God. I mean, God's a promise keeper. God's a truth teller. Aren't you glad? Every promise in Scripture, God fulfills. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. When God makes a commitment to you, a promise to you, aren't you glad that God fulfills? When he says he forgives you, he forgives you. When he says you're a child of his, you're a child of his. And his promises are based on his character, not on yours. That's just because of who he is. Numbers 23, 19 says this. said, God is not a man that he should, should lie, nor a son of a man that he should change his mind. In other words, he doesn't change his mind. If he says something, it's good as gold. Does he speak and then act? Does God promise and not fulfill? See, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in John chapter 44, and Jesus said this. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires because there is no truth in him. When we speak truth, when our yes is yes and our no is no, we reflect the character of God. But when we speak lies, when we exaggerate, it's contrary to the character of God. I think all of us in this room, we want to be truth tellers, right? I've, I mean, I've never, I've never met anyone that says, I don't want to be trusted. And I don't want to tell the truth. Ted Engstrom says this about, about truth telling and honesty. He said, it's simply this. You do what you say you're going to do. If you say you're going to pay a bill on the 15th, then you just pay the bill on the 15th. If you say you're given a certain amount, then just give the certain amount. If you, you say you're going to show up at 9 o'clock, then you show up at 9 o'clock. If you contract to do 40 hours of work a week, then you do 40 hours of work a week. If you say you're going to be faithful to your mate until you die, then you just be faithful to your mate until you die. He says that's what integrity is. Integrity is this, that you do what you say you're going to do. You just simply follow through on your commitments. You simply follow through on your promises. And if you're not careful, we can come up with all kinds of justifications for not following through on commitments, not following through on promises, not allowing our yes to be yes and our, our no to be no. Here's a few challenges for you that challenged me this last week as I prepared for this. The first challenge is this. You keep your promises even when they seem insignificant and even if they seem small. This may be the area that sometimes we have the most difficulty with, that they just seem kind of insignificant or they just seem kind of small. And, and Jesus said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You have, to be in, you have to be honest in the insignificant things. You can't be dishonest in the insignificant things. Listen, sometimes it's the insignificant things that will define you. See, nobody goes in life from A to Z in one jump. People will go from A to B to C to D, and then one day they end up at Z, 
And they say, oh no, I'm the person that I never thought I was going to be. But it was one compromise after another. Jesus says, it's really in the little things that will define you. In fact, is in Luke 16.10, here's what Jesus said. He said, whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You want God to bless you in your life? You want God to bless you in your relationships? You want God to bless you in your finances? You want God to bless you in your business, your profession, your career? You want God to bless you in your schooling or whatever? Be faithful with little. Just be faithful with what he's given you because he says, listen, if you can't be faithful with a little, there's no way you're going to be faithful with much. The check will be too much to write. The commitment will be too much. This was years ago, in the early 80s when I was in engineering. And this just marked me in my life. That, and it was back in the time when the personnel laws were much different than they, what they were today. No such thing as an HR department and human resources and all the stuff that we got on to, going on today. But I worked for a president of an engineering company. It was my first engineering company to work with. And he was a believer. He was a deep believer. Had a man in the engineering company that began to have an affair on his wife. He terminated him. He was a good engineer. And I asked him why. He said, Charlie, I'm going to tell you why. If he'll cheat on his wife, he'll cheat on me. They will come, he'll cheat on me. What Jesus is saying is this. Whatever he's given you, be faithful. I lived that verse throughout my whole ministry. For years, I met with 30 kids at a racquetball center in Houston, Texas, gang kids, youth at risk. Nobody wanted them. The church didn't want them. Their parents didn't want them. Little Latin kings, the Crips, the Bloods, all of them. Junior high, they'd done some horrendous crimes. Most of them already spent time, been in juvenile homes, everything else. And I met with 30, and then it grew much greater than that. But anyway, do you realize I prepared as many hours to talk to them as I do for you? If you want God to bless you, if you want God to bless your relationships, your ministry, your situations, then he says just be faithful with little. See, it's really the little things that defines us. And so many times we think it's so insignificant, but what we don't understand is when we're dishonest, it, it, it undermines, it, it, it erodes our relationships. Like I'll call you tomorrow. And we never do. We'll do lunch sometimes. We'll get together. Sorry, I got to go. I got to call on the other line when we know we don't. I'm having trouble with cell phone reception. I can't hear you when we can. The kids need me. I need to go real quick when they don't. It's the insignificant, it's the small things. And, and let me just tell you, one of the problems that I believe we have in this area, if you're like me, we say what is expected of us instead of what is true. 
See, it's expected of us to say, I'll call you tomorrow. It's expected of us to say, I'll do lunch with you when we say, man, I don't want to see you again. It's expected of us to say, yeah, we'll hang out sometime. And if you're not careful, you'll say what is expected of you. Whether Listen, I'm just going to open up my life to you for a second. This has been a huge issue in my, in, 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 in my ministry in one area is this. Is that when we came here and we started the church, I knew like everybody. And we started out in a living room, our you know, living room of a house, and we had like five people first, and then 10, and 20, and 30, and then we started moving around. And then the church just exploded, and there came the day when I no longer knew everybody's name. And I carried a tremendous amount of guilt, even though I came out of a church of 6,000. And I carried, a, I carried a huge amount of guilt. And some of it, too, was because there's a, there's a paradigm in Pueblo. There's just a lot of small churches where, to where everyone knows everybody. And so I carried a lot of guilt that I didn't know everybody's name. And I've worked hard at it. I mean, some of you are shocked that I know your name so, so soon, and then some of the others are shocked that I don't know your name. <laughs> and I really struggled with this issue. And Satan used it in my life just to defeat me. And to where when I'd see people in the foyer, I'd see people and you guys would come up to me in the community and, hey, do you remember meeting me? I'd say yes when I didn't. I was telling you. I'd say what was expected of me rather than what was true. And I'd try to act like I knew your name, hoping that in conversation someone would mention your name and then I could use it and all this other stuff. And then six months back, a couple had been in our church, I knew them, knew their names, but I accidentally called her a couple of times by the wrong name. And they left the church and said I was insensitive and I didn't care and didn't care about people. And it wrecked me. And then in my private time with God, God gave me such a release. Because I'm going, God, what do you do? Do you just shut the doors? And you say no one else can come? And it was like, in my spirit, God told me, Charlie, you got it all wrong. It's more important that they have a relationship with me than you. <laughs> Just point people to me. It's more important that you know Jesus Christ and that you have a relationship with him because he can change your life. And now you know what I do? People say, do you remember me? If I don't, I say, you know what? I recognize the face if I do. I say, I recognize your face. I know I should. Would you mind helping with me with your name? And I'll do the very, very best I can to remember your name. See, if you're like me, sometimes we get caught up in this issue of we say what is expected for us to say rather than the truth. Jesus says this. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just walk in integrity. We do this in the home all the time. I'm going to be at all of your soccer games. I'm going to come home early before dinner. We're going to play pitch and catch. And then we come in after dinner and after the kids are in bed. We're going to go on a vacation this summer. In the busyness of summer and schedules and work and everything, it's the end of the summer and we no longer have time. And see, let me, let me just tell you something about kids in case you don't know this. Kids are incredibly naive. They're not like us. 
Kids are so naive that when you tell them that you're going to do something, they believe you will. I mean, kids are incredibly naive. They haven't lived long enough like us to know that people that say something doesn't mean they're going to do it, and people that promise something doesn't mean they're going to fulfill it. See, we've become cynical. We've become to this point to where we just expect people to do that. We just expect people to tell us what we want to hear. Not children. Children are so naive that when you tell them something, they believe you're going to do it. And every time we break that commitment, every time we break that promise, there is incremental damage done to children. It comes to the point to where it hurts the relationship. Because relationships are, are built on trust. It diminishes our credibility with them. Where now we've got to start making promises and we've got to start making all these oaths and all these commitments just to get them to believe us. See, if we're not careful, we justify the insignificant things in life. We justify the small things. There's this lady that wrote a book here a while back, and she was talking about when she was in high school, she worked at a movie theater. And so she was the ticket person at the movie theater. And so at the movie theater, they had in town that anyone under five got in half price. And so a family of six came to the movie theater, and she looked at a couple of kids, one of the boys, and he looked to be six or seven, and they go, oh, no, he's four. She's like, are you sure? She's only a high school student, and so she's like, are you sure? And they said, yeah, he's four. She says, he doesn't look four to me. He looks older. No, he's four. And so the parents, so she's a fine, whatever, and so she charged all the kids half price, charged the parents full price. The parents got the tickets. The parents were walking away. And so this little high school student, she was angry even though it wasn't her money. And so she leaned over what she says of the ticket booth, looked at the little boy and says, little boy, do you know what happens to little boys that lie? He goes, yeah, they get in movies for half price. <laughs> you know what, if we're not careful, we teach our kids. We teach our kids, you know what? It's okay, it's acceptable. They charge way too much money. They're gonna get money out of it some way. I mean, do you see what they charge for a Coke? Do you see what they charge for snacks? Do you see, see, if we're not careful, because kids are incredibly naive, if we're not careful, we teach kids. Your yes doesn't have to be yes, and your no doesn't have to be no as long as it benefits you. And they grow up to be adults. This says your yes doesn't have to be yes, and your no doesn't have to be no. Second challenge is this, is you keep your promises even when you regret making them. Ever done that? Proverbs talks about that. That you, you, you make commitments in, in, in the heat of the moment or without thinking or whatever. See, someone defined integrity as this, just so huge. Integrity is keeping a commitment even if the circumstances that existed at the time of the commitment has changed. Maybe things didn't turn out the way you hoped. Maybe when you made the promise, things were totally different. Proverbs talks about that. I mean, all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, to we keep our promises even when we regret making them. Or we sit down with them and we talk about it and see if we can't work things out or whatever. But the danger is this, is there's so many people that try to excuse away their foolish commitments by saying it just doesn't really matter and I'll just break them. And so many times what Jesus says is the reason we make foolish 
commitments is we didn't think through the cost. I mean, Jesus was the one. This is before making a commitment, count the cost. Nobody builds a house without counting the cost. I mean, sit down and count the cost because when you make a commitment, whether you use God's name or not, it's a commitment to God. And so there's some people that will say, you know what? I just won't make any commitments. You ever met someone like that that's non-committal? They say, you know what? I'm not going to break commitments, so I'm just not going to make them. Your commitments define who you are. You can't live life like that. I've made some commitments that define who I am. I've made a commitment to Jesus Christ to follow him and to honor him with my life. I've made a commitment to my wife, regardless of what happens, for better or for worse. Regardless if, if things change, situations change, change from the altar to 30 years down the line. I made a commitment to God to lead this church. I made a commitment to my daughters to parent them. See, your commitments define who you are. You show me your commitments, I'll tell you who you are. I'll tell you what's priority in your life. I'll tell you what's important and critical to you in your life. See, Psalms 15, David says this. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? And then verse 4, four he says this. He who keeps his oath, what? Even when it hurts. You keep your commitments. And you understand the seriousness of that, making your yes, yes, and your no, no. The last one is this. You keep your promises even when you're the only one who knows. Or you keep your promises even when God is the only one who knows. There's a lot of people that make commitments all the time to God nobody else knows. No one can hold them accountable. Nobody can call their hand on it. Nobody really knows, and they say, you know what, I'm good. I don't have to keep those commitments because, like, I'm the only one to know. No one will know. Maybe you in this sanctuary, maybe you have bowed your head at the close of a service and you have made a commitment and you're the only one that knows. Have you fulfilled that commitment? Because God's word says God takes that commitment Seriously. Maybe you've made a commitment to forgive someone. Maybe you've made a commitment to work out a relational issue. Maybe you've made a commitment to follow God at a deeper level. Maybe you've made a commitment to accept Him. Maybe you've made a commitment to get, follow Him in baptism. Maybe you've made all kinds of different commitments. Maybe you've made a commitment to walk in integrity in the business world or whatever. Maybe you've made a commitment to get with your kids more. And then you got out of the sanctuary and you realized and you said you know what that was probably foolish of me to make that commitment and I'm the only one who knows and so I don't really have to fulfill it because nobody's going to know and then you come to the point to understand that your yes should be yes and your no should be no to God and you fulfill your promises even when he's the only one who knows